you notice on the front of your bulletins last week and this week, we've indicated on the front that Easter is actually not over. Last week, we said it was the second Sunday of Easter, this week the third. If we are to believe our own bulletins, then Easter must still be going on. It is, in fact, a 50-day season in the life of the church that begins on Easter Sunday, ends on the Sunday of Pentecost. And yet all signs around us suggest that Easter has quickly come and gone once again. Our fancy clothes, I'm sorry, but you're not as fancy as you were two weeks ago. They're in the back of the closet where they'll wait till next year. By the third week of Easter, even the few remaining clearance chocolate bunnies have been sold. The Easter lilies are looking a little droopy. The church isn't nearly as full. The baptistry has long been drained. Even the pastors took off last Sunday. The post-Easter joke among pastors is that Jesus has risen. Now we can lay down. (laughs) And Easter's exciting, but it can also be exhausting. But have you ever been afraid of Easter? I don't mean the Sunday or the chocolate or even the bunny, though can we all just admit right now that mall Easter bunny is terrifying? Those eyes, I don't know, it's scary. But have you ever been afraid of Easter, of resurrection? Have you ever been afraid of a second chance? In 1955, a woman named Elizabeth was cleaning out her closet. Now, you know the feeling. It's that time of year, spring cleaning. And I hope you're all going through your closets and your basements and your attics and your garages looking for treasures to donate to our second chances rummage sale, which will happen in a few weeks. And all across the chancel this morning is, well, let's be honest, junk. Junk that could have, may have, probably did come from someone here's garage or basement. Junk that probably deserves to be put on the curb and hauled to the dump, not even given to our yard sale. It's old, it's worn out, it's broken or stained, it's just not in style anymore. What was once useful is not useful anymore. It's time to throw it out. And that's how Elizabeth felt that day in 1955 as she's cleaning out her closet and she sees in the back of the closet this coat, and not just any coat, an old coat, an old green coat. And she probably wonders, why did I ever buy this coat? This coat was never in style, and I've held on to it for this long. Its usefulness, if it ever had any, is long expired. Maybe it was once new, maybe once in style, but by 1955, it was like old coats are after some use. Little fuzzballs forming all over it. It was faded. It was frayed. It could have been donated to a church rubbish sale, but who would have wanted it? It's probably best to just throw it out in the trash, and that's what Elizabeth was going to do, throw it out until her son intervenes. Now, her son is not a three-year-old boy wanting to play dress-up in mommy's big green coat. Her son was in college, but he insisted that his mother not throw this coat out. I'm sure Elizabeth thought, what in the world do you want to do with this old thing and wondered about her own son's sanity? But her son took the coat. And as the story has been told over and over again since 1955, he brought that coat to his workshop, where he began to cut it all up, that old green coat into little pieces. And then this boy began, this college man, began to stitch something new. 
He found in his workshop an old ping pong ball and cut that ball in half. And after working and stitching and some gluing, his vision was finished. And who would have thought back in 1955 that Elizabeth's old green coat would one day have a prized position in the collection at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History? See, Elizabeth only saw a fuzzied, frayed, and faded coat, but her son, Jim, Jim Henson, saw Kermit the Frog. Now, if that story doesn't make you want to go shopping at our church rummage sale, I don't know what will. A lot of money has been made off of that old, green, ugly coat, a coat that became Kermit. And it's even harder to believe that maybe you or I, maybe a coat, Maybe some junk could be repurposed, but you or I, in the midst of our uselessness and brokenness and all that's gone wrong in our lives, could we become something new? Now, we've called this worship series Second Chances, and it's plural, by the way, because I, while I don't believe that God only gives us one chance in life, I also don't believe that God only gives us one second chance in life. Second chances come along all the time, and some of you have stories to tell, second chances in your life that have happened. And well, tell the stories. We want to hear them. After church, at coffee time, email it, give us a call. I want to hear your second chance experiences. But this morning, maybe the question we should ask is not, have we had a second chance? But maybe we should ask about those second chances we've missed out on. And why? Why do we resist them when they come? Why are we afraid of second chances? Now, our worship series begins this morning the same place it will end, with the disciples. The disciples gathered in a room. The scripture Andy read to us this morning had the disciples after the resurrection locked in a room. We'll end this series on Pentecost Sunday where these same disciples are gathered in another room, locked away, not sure what will happen, waiting and confused. Today they're in this room, and who knows, maybe it's the same room, this room and that room. Both rooms are in Jerusalem. But today, today they're locked away and scared. They don't know what's going to happen. It's still Easter Sunday for the disciples, and Mary Magdalene has just told them her news. I have seen the Lord, she said, and their response, their response is to hide. And John tells us the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, what does that mean for fear of the Jews? It's a confusing statement, and it sort of represents some of the early anti-Semitic feelings that had crept into the church when John was writing. But aren't the disciples Jews? And well, Jesus was a Jew. And if you read the accounts leading up to Jesus' death, his betrayal, his burial, it seems the Jewish leaders and the Romans are the ones who are really the ones who are scared. They're the ones who place the guard at Jesus' tomb for fear of the disciples, that they will steal his body away, that they'll start a revolution and overthrow their power. They're the ones who kill Jesus because they are scared of him, because he's a threat to their power. Seems like the Jews for the disciples are really just a convenient scapegoat for their own fears. So why are they scared? And what are they really hiding from? Mary Magdalene says, I have seen the Lord and the disciples' response is not hallelujah, Christ is risen indeed, it's we better hide. And they lock the doors afraid of what might happen to them and to their world and to their lives if Jesus really has risen from the dead. They're afraid of Easter. After all, the relationship with Jesus did not end very well. 
Just three days earlier, as we walked through on Monday, Thursday, they sat at a meal with him and he washed their feet. He served them bread and wine and they all pledged never to deny him and not one of us will betray you, Jesus. But this morning they woke up with the biggest shame-filled hangover of their lives. Judas may have received the gold, but locked inside that room, they all felt like betrayers. That's what shame does to us. It locks us in. The author, Mike Foster, writes in his book, People of the Second Chance, that we tend to write, we humans write sneaky rules for ourselves, rules that run in the background of our lives like a virus, he says, infecting our operating systems. We forget these rules are even there. They intertwine their devious codes throughout our spiritual, emotional, and psychological systems. He calls these rules the five, it's hard to say, it's not commandments, the five condemnments. And these are his five condemnments. Number one, I don't deserve a second chance. Number two, I am my shame, I am my secrets. Number three, I will always feel this way. Number four, I'm defined by my worst moments. And number five, my life, my dreams, my hopes no longer matter. Have you ever heard those? Have you ever thought those? Have you ever felt this way that it's hard to overcome that devious code in the background? It's hard to break away from the lies we tell ourselves. See, for three years, Jesus spends his ministry with these disciples, teaching them, training them. And then what happens after he dies? In a moment, they go back to that default. They lock themselves away. Everything he told them seems to pass away. They don't remember. They don't think about it. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Locked inside their shame, the gospel tells us that Jesus, well, he just comes in. He shows up in the room. There's no details. I really want to know how he got in there. Well, we aren't told. Did he just pass through the walls? Did he transport in some sci-fi, futuristic, beam-me-up Scotty? Did Jesus have a key? Maybe they left a window open and Jesus crawled in. But there he is. He found a way to get in. Jesus always finds a way. Their, Their doors, their locks do not keep Jesus out. And right there in the midst of their fear and shame, Jesus stands and he doesn't condemn them, though he could. He doesn't say, well, why haven't you believed Mary? Why did you desert me after saying you wouldn't? Why are you so scared? Instead, the gospel says that Jesus stands among them and says, peace be with you. And I don't see Jesus saying that in any other way, but with a huge smile, peace be with you. And then he tells them two things. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, this is all very strange. In the moment of their deepest insecurity and fear, Jesus shows up and he doesn't bring condemnation. He brings peace and he gives them, I think, two gifts, two gifts that are essential to their stepping out of these locked rooms and entering into their second chance. First, Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God, because you can't Do it alone on your own power. And then Jesus gives them forgiveness. Not just his forgiveness of them, though he gives that. But he gives them the power to forgive and the power to forgive themselves. If you forgive the sins of any, Jesus says, 
they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. If you hold on to what has happened and what you have done and what has been done, then it will be held on to. It will be retained. But if you want to unlock those doors, then forgive. Forgive yourselves. Forgive others because I forgive you, forgive you Jesus says. Now I admit that Kermit the Frog story, I love Kermit the Frog. The Kermit the Frog or, or origin story is a bit trivial when compared to the second chances we need in our own lives. I mean, would, it, would that we were an old green coat instead of the things we've made of ourselves. But I love the story, not just because I love Kermit, but because it's a story of something that we believe is worthless, not just becoming something new, but becoming something that, well, changes the world. Other than Jesus, who's changed the world more, more than Kermit, right? But it was... In fact, the very ugliness of that coat that made Kermit the frog possible. Were it a beautiful, brand new purple coat, there would have never been a Kermit the frog. The good news is, for us today, the gospel is that the very source of our brokenness and our shame is exactly what God needs to create something beautiful. Now, the Easter season lasts 50 days. And then it ends with Pentecost. We call it the birthday of the church. And it lasts 50 days because it takes 50 days or even longer for the disciples to find their voice. But once Pentecost comes, they will stand up boldly. They will tell their story. They will testify to Jesus and they will change the world. But as for today, well, today the gates and the doors, well, they're still locked and barred. The windows are fastened down. We're locked in by fear and by shame. This Is where we are. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for what will happen next? Are you ready for your second chance?